So as we turn to scripture and the message this morning, um, you'll want to flip to Exodus 19, and we'll start with verse 1 here in a second. But as we were thinking about, okay, what needs to be adapted as we plan for worship this morning, particularly with everything that has happened um, with the coronavirus, uh, I realized we were right in a sermon series where we need to be. And so we didn't feel like we needed to change anything. And I love it how the Holy Spirit works this way because we planned this months ago. And yet once again, where we had planned to be is where I think God needed us to be right now. And so our series is Trusting God. And Two weeks ago, for beginning of Lent, we talked about trusting God's truth and the importance of, of understanding that God has our best interests at heart. And so even though God's truth can be tough, that when we lean into God's truth, it will always, always um, um, be good for us and guide us in, in beautiful ways. Last week, we talked about trusting God's uh, provision, providing, and how, uh, how when we are faithful to God, God will always provide what we need always. And we'll talk even a little bit more about that today. But today's theme was, is trusting God's leading, trusting God's leading. And so we believe that this is exactly where we need to be in these uncertain times, trying to figure out what it is that we should do and who it is that we should trust that we know we can never be let down when we, we put our trust in God. And so, um, as we talk about this trusting and leading, uh, y'all, I love to dance. I love to dance. I took dance all growing up, ballet and tap. I even did a little jazz. And uh, in fact, I found a great way to greet people with jazz hands. Um, but in college, I got, got to take a ballroom dance class. And I love that even more because you dance with a partner and you learn the foxtrot and the um, waltz and the tango and the cha-cha-cha. And it was awesome. Um, The problem was uh, in ballroom dancing, the guy always leads and the woman always follows. And I found that to be a problem, but not for the reasons that some of you might think that that might be a problem. The problem was... None of my guy friends knew how to ballroom dance. So when we would go dancing back in the dark ages and there would be DJs and I would try desperately because you can, you can cha-cha and you can foxtrot to songs on the radio and I would grab one of my guy friends and we would be trying and I would be dragging him along but I didn't know how to lead. I only knew how to follow. And I can remember three or four times there would be some guy in the room, several times it was actually the DJ, who knew how to ballroom dance and would feel bad for me and would put a song on and come over and invite me to dance. And it was glorious because he knew the steps and he knew how to to lead and all I had to do was follow. And that was so much fun. But I... I think of my own faith journey and my faith life like doing this glorious, beautiful dance with God where God is always in the lead and can always guide me. And all I have to concentrate on is just figuring out how to follow, to to follow God's um, steps in this beautiful dance of life. And so I want us to think about that as we 
hear this story from the book of Exodus with the Israelites where there were moments when they were right in line following God's leading. And then there were moments when they fell out. Because the problem is, whenever you try and take the lead, you end up tripping up over your own feet. And it it never goes well um, that you've got to trust your partner to to lead. And so I'm going to start with Exodus 19. Uh, This is a long story that I've woven together. And so I'm going to stop and uh, point out a few things along the way. But to give you some guidance, This is about, you'll hear, three months after the Israelites have left Egypt um, or slaves in Egypt and God brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness. A lot has happened, a lot of trials and tribulations that God has seen them through. And um, now they've come to Mount Sinai and they're actually going to spend about 11 months here, but they've just arrived and it is the beginning of um, a a turn in in the Israelites' relationship with God. And so I'm going to be reading from the CEB version, uh, but I invite you to join me starting with verse 1. On exactly the third month anniversary of the Israelites leaving the land of Egypt, they came into the Sinai Desert. They traveled from Rephidim, came into the Sinai Desert, and set up camp there. Israel camped there in front of the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, this is what you should say to Jacob's household and declare to the Israelites. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles wings and brought you to me. So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples since the whole earth belongs to me. So let's stop and, and notice a few things here. Um, first of all, uh, um, by the way, they're going to be here at Mount Sinai for about 11 months. But this, in verse 5, I think is so important because it has that word, if. So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant. So it sets up this kind of conditional promise. But let's be clear on what is conditional here, because it's not that God will be faithful to the promise that God has already made back all the way with Abraham and has gone through the generations and with Moses and now with the people. Um, The if is whether the Israelites will be able to follow through and be faithful to God. That's what is the question that God is raising here. Um, But if you will, then you will be my most precious possession. And then let's see what else God says here. Verse six, you will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. These are the words you should say to the Israelites. And what God's point here is, is, and I think this is also important, is is God is revealing part of God's plan. Like this is where God is trying to lead the Israelites, that, that God's plan and hope and desire is to make a nation, to make a, a holy nation that will be an example for all of the world to see, to be a kingdom of priests where worship will be important, where God's role with this people will be important. And the plan all along was for God to create this nation of folk that they could then be a light and a witness into the world and help draw other people to Yahweh, to draw other people to God. 
So that's what um, uh, God has asked Moses to share with the people. So starting in verse seven. So Moses came down, called together the people's elders and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all responded with one voice, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. Moses reported to the Lord what the people said. So this is a critical turn in the relationship between the people and God. Because before God's promise had always been offered to an individual, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses. But now God is offering or inviting the whole Israelite people, the collective, the community, to, to agree to join into this covenantal relationship with God, and they do. So it is at this moment that the Israelite nation is actually born. So now we're gonna skip all the way to Exodus 32. And as you're flipping the pages right now, you'll understand why. And that's because uh, Moses goes back up at the mountain and God gives the law. Uh, and so it takes all this time for uh, Moses and Joshua to receive uh, the, not only the commandments, but how to build the tabernacle and how to worship. And what I want us to do is focus on the, the, the Israelite people. So starting with verse one in Exodus 32, let's see what is still happening down um, at the bottom of the mountain. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. Okay, they do know what's happened to Moses. They know exactly where he is. They know he and Joshua are up on the mountain. It's been 40 days. That's how long it's been, which is not that long of a time, but it's been 40 days and they are feeling restless and anxious and they are unsure of themselves. And so Aaron has been left in charge and uh, he, they, what, what's going on here is they, they can't tolerate the risk of having to, to wait to have faith in God and the promises that God and Moses made to them. And so in their anxiousness and their inability to control the situation, they break that covenant with God and they ask Aaron to make an idol. So Aaron said to them, all right, he gave in way too easily here. All right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. This gold is the gold they received from the Egyptians when they were fleeing. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf and the people declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate. So it was a party. Now, what is 
what I notice in that section is that, first of all, the first thing they do is break covenant with God and it will end up being like the first two commandments. It's, they, they absolutely break what breaks God's heart um, by worshiping the idol instead of God. But what I find so interesting here is in their fear and in their vulnerability and in their restlessness, they're still turning to religion to solve that problem. They're turning to something in their minds that is spiritual, um, even though they've created this false God, but they've created this whole new way of worship. They know there is something missing. They know that they aren't, um, that they are in need of something greater or more than themselves. The problem was they turned away from God that instead of trusting God, they put their trust in idols. But I do think this tells us something about our human nature, this innate need for for something other than ourselves. So then starting verse seven, um, by the way, God's paying attention and knows exactly what is going on down at the bottom of the mountain. But up on the mountain, verse seven, the Lord spoke to Moses, hurry up and go down your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt are ruining everything. And notice how he says your people, (laughs) they're no longer God's people, but right now when God is angry, they become Moses's people. Um, He says, uh, they've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They've made a metal bull calf for themselves. They've bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. And so right now God is so angry. God sees, God is angry. God is ready to give up on those people, but God will continue to uphold his um, end of the covenant by working through Moses and Moses alone. The one that he sees has stayed faithful to him. But now see what happens. Verse 11. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say he had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains and so wipe them off the earth? Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised. I'll make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And I've promised to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. So notice here how um, the, that, that Moses and God, um, Moses interceded on behalf of the people uh, in, and tried to allay God's anger. Notice how he put up a pretty good argument and he appealed to God's reason instead of emotion how he also um, invited God to remember the promises that he made and to not let the Egyptians be right that, that, um, that, that God would be doing something other than what God had promised and invited him to change his mind. And in verse 14, that's exactly what happened. 
Then the Lord changed his mind about these terrible things that he said he would do to his people. So we're going to skip to verse 19 and um, we will um, see, <laughs> see what we will, um, how this ends. Moses gets down the mountain and verse 19, when he got near the camp and saw the bull calf and the dancing, Moses was furious. He hurled the tablets down and shattered them in pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it in a fire. Then he ground it down to crushed powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Wow, that's a great verse to end on. <laughs> um, but, but what's interesting there is once Moses saw with his own eyes, he got as angry as God did and um, was heartbroken at how the people had so, in such a short period of time, turned away from God's faithfulness to them. And it did, it broke Moses's heart and infuriated him at the same time. Um, so this is God's word for all of us, God's people, and we're grateful for it. So as we um, think about this story, uh, I am reminded that um, this is a, it is to me one of the quintessential examples of God leading. Uh, the whole wilderness, the whole Exodus story that um, I talk about leading as moving from here to there, an unacceptable place where we can't stay, the Israelites as slaves in Egypt, to there, which is the promised land. And that God is trying to lead them to that promised land. God has a plan. There is a purpose in what they are going through, even though the Israelites can't see it. And unfortunately, um, that journey is hard. That wilderness is hard. But the Israelites end up choosing to try and take into their, own, their destiny into their own hands. And they aren't able to, to trust God when um, all was said and done. And so... Um, I always, I just wonder about why they weren't able to do so because in their own generation, think about all that they'd already experienced with God. They'd experienced the plagues in Egypt. They'd experienced the parting of the Red Sea when they were fleeing the Egyptians. They got into the difficult wilderness. God provided water from a rock, uh, manna or bread from heaven. And even when they complained about not having protein, there were quail, there were birds that God provided all along the way. And in that scripture I just read, God even reminds them of what he's done for them and how he has been like the eagle um, that lifted them up on eagle's wings, which is this beautiful metaphor of God as this mother eagle. And it, it's referring to when it's time to teach the baby eaglets how to fly, the mom nudges them out of the nest, which is very high up. And as the babies are falling, they practice learning how to fly. And if they don't figure it out, the mom swoops underneath them and catches those babies on her wings and then lifts them back up into the nest until, until they will try again, until they learn. And God has provided for just like last week we talked about, provided for and cared for the Israelites in such a way that um, it seems like they have such short memories. And then that verse five, that conditional covenant, that if they will be faithful, that's all God is asking them to do, is if you'll be faithful, then um, you'll be my prized possession. And I think what that's reminding us is that 
we have free will. We have a choice. The Israelites had a choice and God knew that. And so that if is, is reminding us that the Israelites had a choice to be faithful to God. Um, at first they said, we're in. We will do this. We, we are all in with you, God. Um, but it's a continual choice that we make. And the Israelites were not able to sustain that choice. Um, they couldn't stay faithful. They couldn't keep trusting in God's leading them. So in that breaking trust, just a few weeks after they had made an all-in promise, um, they turned away. And it reminds me of two weeks ago when we were talking about the garden um, in, of Eden with Adam and Eve and in Genesis 3 that, that we all end up choosing to turn away at some point that we compromise our ability to be to be loyal to God by taking our destiny into our own hands and so I wonder you guys um, what you think about this idea of why so quickly after making their promise to God that they they failed to that they just they turned away and they stopped trusting God I think for me I mean, I, I see so much that in, in this wilderness story, as you were saying, God's trying to lead them to be a new people, a new um, nation, a new way of being in the world, and that it's uncomfortable. And that, um, sure, it sounded nice to them being led out of slavery. <laughs> that, like, yeah, we're, we're for this God that will lead us out of slavery. But then as soon as it, it becomes more uncomfortable, that... Um, it becomes more difficult, and, and they, they seem to need that tangible sense of, okay, God, I can't see God right this moment, even though God had been visible in, in many ways in their lifetimes, that I can't see what God is up to right now, so I need to make something that I can see. And, and to me, that, that's some, a temptation we have, too, that you know, no matter how many times we've seen God faithful in our lives, uh, faithful to, to provide, faithful to fulfill promises, that sometimes in that moment of panic, it's like, but I don't know what God's doing right now. God might be sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so then we, we try to take things into our own hands, try to create our own, um, our own image of, of what we think needs to happen and, and can worship, worship that. Right. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. The... Um the hardest thing for me, I feel like, is I tend to forget the relationships that I'm around. Like, I, I, I tend to forget that God's not just leading me. He's, he's leading other people around mm. me um, and in turn leading me in that way, too. And so um, with the Israelites, you know, it, they're forgetting God's got Moses. Right. Um, and, you know, through God's leadership in Moses you know, God is leading these people and they're, uh, I don't know, for me personally, it's like, um, the thing that was kind of where I felt like God has been leading me recently is, um, kind of through inaction. Um, I, with, I mean, um, you know, my wife and I, Mary, we were, the debate when Thomas was born was, uh, like, does, does she go back to work? Um, and, uh, we, we talked a lot about it and I, you know, me personally, I was like, it'd be so easy, you know, for her not to go back to be a teacher, but I wasn't, I wasn't at the time thinking about how amazing of a teacher she is and how like that, that's, that is 
God's leading in her life. Um, and my own selfishness could have gotten it. If I, if I had, if I had been forceful and stepped down and said, no, um, <laughs> you are not going back to teaching. I, that would have been me getting in the way of how God was leading her. Um, <laughs> and we found a lot of fruit from, you know, Thomas being in daycare and, um, and our family in that way. And, uh, but you know, with these, with the Israelites, it's like, I don't know. It's a challenge for all of us to see like, okay, yeah, it's, it's easy for me to imagine this path walking with God. Like it's just me and God. Um, but we forget the relationships that we're in and the Israelites, I mean, they forgot that Moses was leading them. Um, Aaron forgot. Yeah. (laughs) He, he was not aware of, um, God's leadership in Moses continuing after the freedom of the slaves, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, and so I don't know, that's, that's kind of where I've personally connected with that. And that, uh, and to me, it, that connects in with my thoughts on it, which is there was a real leadership void in this moment. And even though Aaron had been left in charge, oh my gosh, he really, he screwed it up. And as you said, he, he forgot. And when the leader forgets and distrusts and turns away and capitulates to the people, then you've got problems. And I think that is an important reminder to us too, that who you follow matters. Who, who is leading you matters. And when God is our ultimate leader, God will never lead us astray. But we do have to be vigilant about who it is that we are following. Um, and I, I also think the free will is a piece of what's going on here. They had choice and they made a bad one. And it had consequences. Um, and so I am, um, I, I mean, we've all been in that position before. And we don't always make the best choices. Um, but, but I think this is an example where, as you said, Laura, that fear and the needing something tangible led to um, distrusting God to try and take control and to get something that they, they could touch, see, and put their trust in, um, even though it wasn't going to do anything for them. Um, okay, so uh, another interesting part of that story is when God got angry and Moses interceded on behalf of the people. And for some people, that verse where it says God changed God's mind can be like startling, surprising. And what does that say to us about God and our relationship with God um, when, you, when you hear that part of the story? I think to me, again, this, this is a reminder that our prayers matter. I think sometimes, you know, it, yes, we, we believe that, that God always has our best interests at heart, but sometimes we can, you know, trust so much that it feels like, why even pray? <laughs> um, but that this, this reminds us that God is attentive to the things that we, that we are saying, and God is God hears our prayers and that there is an important role, even though it's a little mysterious and we don't understand exactly what that means, that there is, is an important um, role that we have in, in going to God in prayer and the ways that that, that changes us and, and maybe even sometimes in some way changes God's heart, even though it's kind of uncomfortable for us to think about, like, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, I yeah. think, a big part of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. The lack of comfort, that's a big deal. But um, 
I think about, uh, you know, I, I love fantasy. So I think about Narnia um, when the way C.S. Lewis describes Aslan, who's supposed to be kind of representing Jesus and things like that. Um, he's not a tame lion. Um, and I really, I, I love that, um, that idea. Um, it, it is kind of scary to us a little bit that, I mean, yeah, that we cannot tame God, um, and we want to so badly to box to box him in and say, um, yeah, like, you, you should not be changing your mind on this thing. Like, you have this plan, you're supposed to be going, you know, this is plan A. Um, and uh, um, the, the truth is Jesus is plan A. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and so whatever happens from point A to point B and for plan A to happen, like God is, God is moving in not so much of a tame way mm-hmm. um, to get us to, to, that, to that point. Yeah, I love that. And something that just made me think of is I've been, I've been kind of into um, reading a lot of ancient Christian commentaries, the earliest Christians, how they interpreted scripture. And I, I think for them, they would look at this story and see Moses as sort of reflecting uh, reflecting Christ and how Christ is always interceding for us, as it says in Hebrews. Um, and so just thinking of, of that, too, I think yeah. can, can be helpful. And it's, yeah, thanks, y'all. Love the thoughts. And it, to me, it also is just a reminder that our relationship with God is dynamic. That it is like the dance, that that we, the free will, all of that is we are partners in life with God. And, and so because of that, God does have to react to us. And, and so there are times when we absolutely frustrate the heck out of God. Well, I think we've clearly established that uh, this is an example where the very beginning, if we just stopped with verse 8, we'd be good. And the Israelites were a good example of how to follow God's leading. But uh, we kept reading and saw where this is really an example where they did ultimately distrust God. Uh, you've already shared a beautiful example of leading into to some trust when, when making some decisions as a family with you and, and Mary and Thomas. Um, there are certainly other biblical examples where people have trusted, but I wonder if we might have examples or times when we've leaned into God's trusting and that led to a blessing or led us to a beautiful place. Anybody want to share? I can, I can share something. So um, I've, I've, some of y'all know that I just came back from a two-month renewal leave, and um, my husband JB and I got to, to travel some um, and we're o- away from Boone for two months. And first, even just asking for that renewal leave was having to lean into to God, trusting God's leading because we really felt strongly that that was something that God was calling us to do, but it felt uncomfortable. It was like, this feels kind of selfish and like so many people we know and love can't even afford a day off, much less two months of vacation, what seems like vacation, even so it wasn't just like vacation. Um, but uh, we we went ahead and asked, and I was so grateful for the support from this church and SPRC and um, and granting that renewal leave. But it's interesting that the, the reasons that I thought I was asking for it didn't even turn out to be the, the things that were most important in that. And um, through lots of little ways, we just felt God leading us through that. And um, one... Just, 
just from the very end of our sabbatical time, the last week of our sabbatical, um, we were at Mepkin Abbey, and, which is a monastery in South Carolina. I know many people from this church have, have taken retreats. Jeff has led groups to Mepkin Abbey before. Um, so we went, and this was my first silent retreat, and I was, I was excited about it. JB has been many times, and I've heard him and lots of you all from this congregation talk about Mepkin Abbey and the, the beautiful ways that God has spoken to you through, through that time of coming apart in silence and um, just really being in God's presence. And so I was excited about it, and we were kind of, you know, trying to decide, okay, are we going to actually be silent, like not even talk to each other the whole week? But we felt like, okay, I think we can do this. I think this will be good. Um, and then we were there over Ash Wednesday. And um, Ash Wednesday, you know, the beginning of Lent uh, is, is a time where you take up new disciplines. And um, as we were preparing for, for Ash Wednesday on Tuesday, I had this sense that, like, I, I think I want to fast, um, which, you know, I don't like giving up food for long periods of time, but I, I, I felt like, no, this is something that I, I don't know why, but I feel like God's inviting me to fast from lunch on, on Tuesday to lunch on Wednesday. Um, and so I wrote JB a little note and slipped it under the door, like, I think I'm going to fast, and do you want to do this with me? And he was a little hesitant, but was like, no, I, I think so. Um, and it turned out that that was one of the most uh, significant days of our entire renewal leave, that, that morning of fasting. Um, JB shared later that in his prayer time that morning, it was like a barrier between him and, and God was removed, and it opened him up to be in this uh, healthier spiritual place. More like he felt closer to God than he had felt in about 10 years. Mm. And then for me also, um, that morning I was wrestling with God over some things that had been on my heart for some time, some internal fears that I was struggling with, and I just had this profound sense of peace washing over me and that I didn't need to be afraid that God's grace was sufficient for me. And, and I think God is always trying to do new things um, with us and in us and for us, and it's such a gift when we allow ourselves to be open to following God's leading and receiving it. And so that was a, an experience for me where I, I had that renewed sense of, yes, like sometimes when we, when we just follow the prompting from the Spirit, it can, it can really bear, bear rich fruit in our lives. Thank you for sharing that. You have something? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I had the opportunity to intern for Next Step Ministries um, for two summers, and our church has taken a couple of trips with them, and um, they're a really awesome ministry. And my first summer, when I was going through the whole application process, they um, have several different sites, and one of the conversations we had was, what site do you feel like you um, should be at? And I didn't really feel drawn to any particular site and was really open um, and just kind of trusting that God would place me um, wherever I was supposed to be. But in my head doing that, I kind of thought that I'd be placed in like New York or Los Angeles or Colorado. <laughs> or, somewhere cool. Yeah, somewhere like super cool. Um, and on my phone call, he was like, how about Joplin? And I was like, Okay, I don't even know if I know what state that's in. <laughs> um, and so after praying about it, I was like, if that's where you want me, that's where I'll go. And that was truly one of the biggest blessings um, I have ever had in my life. I was welcomed into a church, um, but so much more than that, I was welcomed into a family. Um, each of us 
interns were given a specific family that kind of took care of us for the summer and whether it was taking us to lunch, doing our laundry, bringing us snacks, um, praying with us, praying for us. They, um, I truly can't imagine getting through a summer like that without them. Um, so just seeing the way that like God took me there and showed me like the way that the church can move and support people, one directly in the church, but also outside of their community. And it was a really big blessing. Oh man. Cool. Thanks for sharing. So uh, beautiful examples of God leading in our lives and that leading to a blessing. And I've experienced the same as as well. Um, But we do also have biblical examples to lift up. And I think King David is one of those that leaned into trusting God's leading. I think Peter is a really interesting example as one of God's, of Jesus's kind of goofy disciples there for a while. And, and then um, after the resurrection ends up being the, the cornerstone of the church, like the, the leader of the church. And he trusts God's leading in, in that. Paul, for sure, trusted God's leading in so many different ways, um, whether it was from jail or traveling to a new city or trying to shepherd um, the new churches that he had started. But Ben, you already alluded to this. The one, the one who truly um, is the best example of leading into God's um, trust and uh, trusting in God's leading is Jesus. And as we get closer and closer to the cross and are reminded of that path that he traveled, um, when the, the human part of Jesus really um, was um, was struggling with what God was asking him to do. And he realized, you know, the sacrifice that he was going to have to make, that it was trusting God's leading that helped Jesus, um, go to the cross. And it was God's leading that moved him beyond the cross to the tomb and then to resurrection. And it is that ultimate promise being fulfilled that is what we can trust and to lean into and to remind ourselves that all along from Abraham on, from Adam and Eve on, God had a plan And God was leading us um, to that ultimate gift of grace on the cross. And today, God continues to lead us um, into this deep, beautiful relationship with Jesus. And so I just want to conclude by extending this invitation to just remember that if life is like this beautiful dance uh, opportunity, to just trust God trust God to to be that faithful partner to lead and that all we have to do is to figure out how to follow um, and to be faithful to that. That when we try and take our destiny, our future, our life in control and in our own hands, we are going to stumble over our own feet. But when amongst all of the uneasiness around us and um, the unknown that we can just try and trust God's lead, that we'll figure out what these next steps are. We'll figure out how to Facebook and Instagram live with you. (laughs) We'll figure out how to make sure that all of the details work and the batteries are in place, whatever. Um, We'll figure out how to care and love for one another. We'll figure out um, what it means to be faithful in in some new and different ways. And so um, I just invite you to let God lead. Let God lead in your life. Let's pray.
Gracious God, I just give thanks for the opportunity to um, go into your word, to see what it is you have to say to us and to hear the amazing thoughts of my um, friends and colleagues as we wrestle with what does it mean to trust you? What does it mean to let you lead our lives? What does it mean to, to follow you, Lord? Um, what does it mean to, to look at Jesus as we get closer and closer to the cross and to know that, that he is the one that was had ultimate trust in you and that we can do the same. So continue to guide us, give us ears to hear what the direction is that you are nudging us in and then the courage to follow, the courage to take those steps and the courage to to let you um, take the lead in this beautiful dance that we call life. Amen.